0: All right, Job chapter 7, I want you to look with me at verse number 1, and uh, the Bible says here, does not man have hard service on earth? Are not his days like those of a hired man? This is Job talking after the disasters have already hit. Now what we're going to do in just a minute is we're going to go back and we're going to start in chapter 1. And we're just going to kind of breeze through his life and get a little background and a little history and find out what's going on. But before we do that, I want you to look in chapter 7 down at verse 11, because we find out ultimately where Job got to in his life. If you look at verse number 11, the Bible says, Job speaking, Therefore I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. He was hurting. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Job was a godly man. I believe even in this place in his life, he was maintaining his integrity. But he's human. And he came to the place where he didn't understand. And he says, using these two words, I'm complaining and I'm bitter because I don't understand. So notice what he says in verse 12. Am I the sea or the monster of the deep that you put me under guard? When I think my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint, even then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I prefer strangling and death rather than this body of mine. I despise my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. Look at verse 20. If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? What have you made, why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will be no more. Job said I prefer death than living in this body, I am in, mean. I want to die. Now, who is he talking to when he is saying this? Does anybody know? It's not one of his friends, because they haven't said anything yet. He's talking to God. You remember last time, one of the things that we found was that with Moses, with Elijah, with all these people, it's okay for you and I to be honest when we talk to God. Think about it. God already knows everything about me anyway. And and I've told you this before, using our terminology. You can't brown nose God. It don't work. Because He knows everything. You you can't be two faced to God. Because He already knows. That's why in Philippians 4, He says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, let your requests be made known. Just tell me what's on your heart. We've studied this many times. Who does prayer help? Who is prayer for, God or us? It's for us. God don't need it. God doesn't pray. Did you know that? Jesus prayed when he was here, but the only reason he did was to show us how to do it. He didn't need to pray. He was God. Think about it. God praying to God. He didn't need to do that. He was showing us. Why? Because when you and I are honest with God and we pour out our heart to God, it helps us. You ever been frustrated with God? You ever been mad at God? You probably all have at some point. You may not want to admit it, but if you really believe God's in control of everything, that means whatever has ever happened to you, He was in control of it. And at some point, you probably said, if not out loud, at least inside of your heart, God, why did you let this happen? I don't understand this. You know the great thing is, that's okay. In every one of these people we've looked at, every single one of them did that when they talked to God. And not one time did God ever get mad because they did that. In every single situation, he comforted them. Look, if he's going to get mad, he'll just go ahead and get mad because he already knows it before I say it. But he knows I need to say it. That's what Job is doing. He said, I'm complaining. Look, he said, God, if I have sinned, then why don't you show me what I've done? I don't know what I've done. And why won't you forgive me? Why won't you pardon my sin and, and, and forgive me, meaning forgive me and take all this bad stuff away? Let me go back to being happy again. Here's the deal. God didn't do any of this. But Job didn't know that. So, let's go back to chapter 1. And real quick, let's find out what happened, because I think it's very important for you and I to realize sometimes life becomes unlivable because of difficulty. So let's examine, first of all, through the life of Job, where does difficulty come from? Now, in um, the little booklet that I wrote, we went through the life of Job. There are actually five chapters on this whole story. Obviously, in 35 or 40 minutes this morning, I can't take you through all of those. Um, It's on our blog website. We're actually going to have it printed in a little Bible study booklet. But it goes through in the series that I did. We talk about six or seven different reasons why God allows difficulty into our lives. I don't have time to go through all of those today. What I do want you to see, though, is where the primary source is. Because if you and I realize where the real source comes from, then we don't blame the wrong person, which is what happened with Job. And you'll see when we're done, at the end of the book, God finally does stand up and, and say, Job, I've listened to you for 40 chapters. i got to say something. And we'll look at that in just a minute. Look at Job chapter 1, verse number 1. First of all, let's look at the background of Job himself. Look at his character, verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless. It means there was nothing about his character that you could find that was a flaw. That's what the word means. I don't know that I know anybody that I can say that about today, but this guy evidently was like that. He was blameless, and he was upright. Everything was above board. He didn't cheat. He didn't skimp. He didn't cut corners. He wasn't unethical. He was blameless and above board. The next two things explain probably why. He feared God, and he shunned evil. He was more afraid of God than he was anything or anybody else in life, and he hated evil. He abhorred it. That's what the word means. He stayed away from evil like the plague, because he knew it would ruin his life. Now, that's his character. I want you to look at his family. Verse 2. He had seven sons and three daughters. Dude, he beat me. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Notice it didn't tell us how much money was in his bank account. Because back then, the stuff they just named, the thousands of things he owned, that was their money. If he wanted to buy a piece of land, he said, I'll buy that 1,000 acres from you for 18 donkeys and five horses. Or 30 bushels of wheat. That was their medium of exchange. So when you look at the life of Job and you read, every time God points out all of this stuff he has, translate that into dollar bills today. The dude was a billionaire. He was the greatest man in the eastern part of the world, which, by the way, was about the only part of the world that existed. And when God says he was great, he was not only great in his character, he was great in his success and his wealth. So, here's the deal, young adults that want to be successful in your businesses. You know how you do that? Be blameless and above board in your character Fear God and hate evil, because Job did it, and he was pretty successful. You don't have to cheat, and you don't have to lie, and you don't have to cut corners, and you don't have to do things illegal, and you don't have to go under the table and blast other people. And by the way, contrary to what the world says, you don't have to stomp on everybody above you to get over them. Job didn't do that. He was the greatest man in the world. Now, that's only part of it. He had a great family. Look at verse number 4. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. The family all got along. They loved to be around each other. When a period of feasting had run its course, this is interesting, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice burnt offering for each of them, his children, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, this was Job's regular custom. You know what he did? The Bible doesn't say that all of Job's kids and all their families were perfect. Nowhere, by the way, does it say that his kids had the same character or description that God gave of Job. But he still loved them. He was still blessed to have them. And he prayed to God and even asked God to forgive them if they had done anything wrong. And the Bible says they used to get together regularly and party. As a matter of fact, when they died, you'll see in a minute, they were actually at one of the brothers' houses drinking wine and partying. Now, that's not why they died, as you'll see in a minute. But they enjoyed each other. They had a good time. That's normal living. Job was a normal guy with a normal family but he still was blameless in his character. He was above board in the way he did things, and he feared God, and he hated evil. You know what that tells me? We can all do the same thing. We'll never be perfect. But evidently, this is attainable because Job attained it. So it's possible. Well, I, I, I'm never going to be that good, so why try? That's exactly what Satan wants us to think. He don't want us to try. Okay. So, that's the character of Job. Now, let's look at the difficulty. What happened? I mean, dude, your life's great. <laughs> you're rich. You're a great guy. Everybody respects you. I wish we had time. Uh, I deal with this in the articles that I wrote, but if you, if you study the life of Job, Job wasn't a mealy mouth wimp. Job, evidently, was a manly man. Because before his first buddy talked, he said, before I say anything, I want to ask, if one of us says something, are you going to be quiet and listen, or are you going to get angry at us? Evidently, he was a very intimidating guy. They didn't want to just confront him. It says, by the way, when his three friends first got there, they saw him. They sat down. and never said a word for seven days. I think part of it was they were afraid to. This was a powerful man, a man's man. So you can be all of these things, gentlemen, and be a man. You can stand up for what's right. I tell young people all the time, it takes much more courage and a lot more guts to stand up in the world and do what's right than it does to jump in with everybody else and follow the crowd and just do wrong. Try standing up for God where you work when nobody else does. Just mention his name. See how much courage it takes. A lot. Job was like that. So what happened? Well, same thing's going to happen with us. The devil is going to get mad. Look at it. Verse number six. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. there's a couple things I want you to notice. Number one, the sovereignty of God. Notice where everybody's coming. They're all coming to God. The angels came to present themselves before God, and guess who came with them? Satan. He's not the boss. He's underneath God just like everybody else is. By the way, Lucifer was a created being. He is not God. He has not always existed. He was created just like all the rest of the angels. He comes with them. Notice where they come. They come to God. Notice this. This is interesting. Verse 7. The Lord said to Satan. Look down at verse 8. The Lord said to Satan. Who's asking the questions here? God is. Why? Because he's the boss. You ever seen these TV shows, these um, cop shows and stuff where they arrest some guy and this guy guy they've arrested starts asking the cop, well, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And the cop says something like this. Shut your mouth. I ask the questions around here. What does he mean? I'm the boss, not you. I'm in control of this situation, not you. I ask the questions. You listen and answer. God's asking the questions because he's the boss. They don't come question God. By the way, it's okay for you and I to ask why. It's not okay for us to interrogate God as if he's wrong and we're right. Dangerous thing to do. So, God starts asking these questions. The third thing I notice, God controls everything that happens. Okay? Look at verse uh, 7. Then the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Like he needed to ask because he didn't know. He wanted him to tell him. God's getting at something here. There's a reason why God does everything. Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. You know what I noticed here? When God said, Satan, where have you been? He didn't say, none of your business. He answered. When God asked the question, he answered. You know, has God ever asked us to do something? And in action, maybe, I've said, God does none of your business. I know I have. I know God doesn't want me to do something, or I know God does want me to do something, and in my attitude, I more or less say, God, does none of your business. I'm going to do what I want to do. Stay out of my business, because you're going to mess up my plans. We're humans. Unfortunately, that's how we have a tendency to be. Hopefully, we're not like that a lot, but, but that's a human tendency. Satan didn't have that problem. He said, I, I've been going through it. Around the earth, notice he didn't bring up Job. So God did, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? You know, I can imagine when Job and God finally had that intimate talk that they didn't record in here, I can imagine when Job found out God's the one that brought it up, he probably said, oh, Lord, why did you do that? Why, why couldn't you say, have you considered my servant Jehoshaphat or something? Why did you say me? And you know what the answer would have been? Because I trust you. Man, what a compliment. I brought you up because I trust you. I know you can go through this and you won't cave in. Yeah, I could have brought up Jehoshaphat, but he'd cave in the first five minutes. What a compliment. And, and it's no doubt Because he was blameless, he feared God, he shunned evil, he was a man of character. So he keeps going, he said, If you consider my servant Job, there's no one on earth like him. Man, how would you like for God to say that about you? In the positive sense. I'm sure he's probably said that a lot of times about me, but it probably wasn't in a positive sense. And there's nobody like him. I can't get him to do nothing, I say. There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless, he's upright, he fears God, and he shuns evil. God used the exact same definition when he told Satan what he was like. Man, what a compliment. Because God knows everything about us. So if God says this is the kind of man he is, then you know that's the kind of man he was. He wasn't putting on a front. He didn't dress up on Sunday morning and act like this on Sunday morning and then take all that off on Sunday night and just kind of go back to being who he was. God says this is the guy he is all the time. Now look at verse 9 because here's where the problem comes. Does, God, does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? The three things we talked about that made him prosperous, his character, his family, and his possessions. And Satan said, you've protected all that. By the way, you know what that means? God's in control of everything. You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. Where did Job's financial success come from? Not Job. Satan said to God, you have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds, his financial success is multiplied. You know what, if you are successful in whatever God's called you to do, it will be because God makes you and I successful, not because we're good. And we're going to get to something in just a minute uh, and talk about this. Verse 12, or, or actually verse number 11. But stretch out your hand, Satan said, strike everything he has, he will surely curse you to the face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. couple of things here. Satan accused Job of only doing all this because of what he got out of it. God, I fear you, I shun evil, I'm blameless and above board in my character only because I think I'm brown-nosing you so that you'll give me all this stuff. That's exactly what Satan said he was doing. So he said, since that's why he does it, take all that stuff away and he'll stop being like that. He'll curse you to your face. He won't be blameless anymore. He won't be above board because he's poor. He'll start cheating and stealing and lying. He won't fear you anymore. Matter of fact, he's probably going to get mad at you. And evil, I'll be his best friend. Because you let him down. If all of these outward things are the only reason that he loves you. So God said, okay. Now remember, God knows everything. He knows what Job's like. He knows that's not true. So God says, all right, I will allow you to touch everything he has. God did not touch him. And later on in the book, and I wish we had time, we just don't, but later on in the book, Job finally comes to the place where he reiterates what we read in chapter 7. God, what have I done? I have examined every aspect of my life. And I can't figure out anything I've done wrong. But if I have done something wrong and I just don't know what it is, and that's why all this is happening, just show it to me and I will confess it. The problem was there was nothing for God to show him because there was nothing he did. So God said, okay, you do it, I'm not going to touch him. But you can't touch him. Take everything he's got, but you can't touch him. Well, you know the story. The rest of chapter 1, he loses everything. He loses his family. He loses his home. He loses all of his crops. He's bankrupt. And his family's dead. All except for one member of his family who will meet in chapter 2. All right? So what did Job do? Verse 20 of chapter 1. At this... Literally after all this has happened to him. And by the way, it all happened one right after the other. I mean, it was like in one fell swoop, he lost everything in his life. Within a few days' time, his whole life totally changed. That could happen to any of us. In one visit to the doctor, our whole life could change. Verse 20, at this... Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. And then he fell down to the ground in worship and said, Notice he hurt. It's okay to hurt. Hiding our pain and trying to act like it don't hurt. Trying And, and by the way, guys, sometimes we're the worst at this. Trying to act tough. That just hurts us. I hope you guys cry. Man, I sit now this time of the year. Oh, it's great. I get my eyes washed all the time. I'll sit in my office and I'll turn to Hallmark Channel and watch some of these Christmas shows. And I'll sit there. And, what? I'll cry like a baby. At least I know my heart's still alive. It still works. There's nothing unmanly about tears. Jesus wept. But when it was time to throw the tables over in the temple, there weren't no tears. So there's a time to cry and there's a time not to. Okay? Alright. So, he, he he all this is happening... Notice the second thing, he hurt, it's okay. Number two, but he turned to God, not away from God. The Bible says that he fell down to the ground in worship. So many times when difficulty hits our lives, we run from God, not to him. I will tell you that one of the reasons of the six or seven that we deal with in the article, one of the reasons God allows difficulty in our life is to push us toward him closer. So when I turn and run the other way, I'm defeating the whole purpose, which means all this pain and difficulty I'm going through, it's worthless. Because it's not doing what God meant for it to do. And by the way, do you know what that means? When I take a test and fail, you know what that means? You've got to take it again. And God's going to make us keep taking it until we pass. Dude, I'd rather pass the first time. I don't want to take this thing three or four times. It hurts too bad. So he fell down to the ground worship. Now notice what he said. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. You know what else he did when he worshiped? He acknowledged that he was a big zero and everything he had was from God anyway. And if God gave it to me, he has every right to take it away if that's what he wants. But he said the ultimate goal is for the name of the Lord to be praised. And if this is what it takes, then like the songwriter said, On WMHK, Lord, if it takes rain, then bring the rain. So you get honor and glory from my life. That's all that matters. And if this is what it takes for you to get glory, then bring it on. And just give me the courage to go through it. And that's what Job said. But notice verse 22. In all of this, Job did not sin. Here it is by charging God with wrongdoing. He did not blame God. You know, the worst thing you and I can do when we go through difficulty is take it out on God. Because ultimately, we don't hurt God, we hurt ourselves. God, I can't believe you let this happen to me. I'm not going to read my Bible no more. I'm not going to pray no more. I'm not going to go to church no more. I'm going to quit tithing, Lord. I'm not going to witness to nobody anymore. God, I'm I'm just going to quit paying attention to you altogether because you let this happen. Now, who in the world do you think that's going to hurt? Like God sitting in heaven saying, Oh, no, Bill's not going to talk to me anymore. What will I do? I will tell you what I think God does do. I think his heart's broken because I don't want to talk to him anymore. Can you imagine what God might have felt like? And he probably didn't because he's God and we're not. But it's the only way we can think of it. When all of this started happening and God knows I'm not doing it, but Job thinks I am. And he couldn't tell him. Because it would ruin their whole reason why God said test him. You know what I try and do, and I'm not very good at it, and I, I fail at it more than I'm successful at it. But when difficulty hits my life, I try to imagine... That Satan and God have had a conversation in heaven, and that's why this is happening to me. And I can't let God down. I just can't let Him down. What, what if that's what's going on in my life, and then I give in, and I sin, and I give in, and I do exactly what I knew God didn't want me to do, and Satan's up there going, "Na na 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 na," I told you he caved in. Man, that drives me nuts. Unfortunately. I'm afraid that happens more often than not. But I'm trying to get better. The difficulty came from Satan. Now, at the end of the book, and I've got to stop. But there are so many things here. There's the purpose of Satan. Let me just tell you this. He's the accuser of the brethren. That's what he did to Job. That's what he'll do to God about you. He's the one that said, remove the protection That's what he wants to happen. And by the way, that's what happened when you and I disobey God. We get out from under his sphere of protection. That's exactly what Satan wants. Then number three, he's the one that wants to take away all the blessing. He's the one that wanted the family to die. He's the one that wanted all the possessions to be taken away. Because he's the one that did all that. That's what he wants. John 10.10, Jesus told us, the thief is coming. He wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. That's what he wants to do. And when difficulty hits my life, if I don't respond properly, that's what he's going to be able to accomplish. Then, he is the one that wants us to turn away from God. That's why the challenge to God. If you take away everything he's got, he'll curse you to your face. He will turn away from you. Why does Satan say that? Because that's what he wants him to do. That's where he wants us to go. Away from God. Because then he knows where he is. He can get at us. We're out from under that hedge of protection. And then the tragedy got worse. I thought it was interesting that uh, in chapter 2, look at verse number 3. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Here we go all over again. Satan tried the first time, it didn't work. God's winning. So he says, There's no one on earth like him. Same thing, except he added something. He's blameless and upright. We're in verse 3 of chapter 2. A man who fears God and shuns evil. But notice the next phrase. He added one. And he still maintains his integrity, though you, Satan, incited me against him to ruin him without a reason. You, Satan, have tried to get Job to turn on me by causing him to think, I'm the one doing all this. Without a reason. Ultimately, toward the end of the story, that's what Job begins to kind of contemplate. Because he keeps saying, God, well, why, why don't you stop all this? Insinuating, he thinks God is the one that's doing it and he doesn't know why. So Satan almost accomplishes what he wanted. Job, God's doing all of this to you without a reason. Because after all, you're a good guy. You don't deserve this. By the way, you know the worst thing that's ever happened to the United States of America? One word, entitlement. We think we deserve things. And by the way, it, it's not just the welfare program. It, it's all the way down to our own individual concept of life. Why well, don't deserve to live like this? Well, how do we deserve to live? You know what the answer to that is? A whole lot worse than we do. We don't deserve anything. And Job is trying to be convinced to say to God, I don't deserve this. But he wasn't. God said he maintained his integrity. Man, what a guy. I'll tell you, I wouldn't have. There is no way if all that started happening to me and I didn't know what was going on. That, well, first of all, I wouldn't have been the man Job was anyway, so that would have been normal for me. Then we come to the end of the story, and I wish I had time to go through the whole thing. I don't. But you know the point. Job destroys everything, or or everything's taken away by Satan. Go to the end of the book, and we're going to stop. Beginning in um, chapter 4 and going all the way through chapter 31, you go all the way through all those chapters. Those are his three buddies and Job having a conversation. By the way, they weren't really friends. Now, now, don't you know? As I as I went through this, I began to realize I don't I can't really blame those guys because I probably would have thought the same thing. I mean, who would have ever in a million years imagined that Satan and God had a conversation and what was happening to Job was happening because of what happened in that conversation? I mean, they never heard that before. I mean, you know, we got the book we we read what happened. They didn't have that. They had no idea why this was all going on which is very similar to when difficulty comes into our life, and we don't understand why. Job went through chapter 4 through chapter 31 or 32 of these guys, 33, 34. He, these guys all telling him, you've done something wrong, but I I've, I don't know what I've done. Well, maybe it's this. and So they spent all these chapters guessing at all these things he could have done. Well, after hearing your, your buddies tell you this over and over and over again, after a while with no other answers, You might start to actually think it. So Job did. I thought it was interesting, but when you come to chapter, um, let's see here, chapter 32, there is a fourth guy that shows up. His name is Elihu. He evidently was younger than the other guys because it says in chapter 32 um, and verse 3, it says he was angry with the three friends because they had found no way to refute Job and yet had condemned him. He said you guys are condemning him but but you don't you haven't come up with a reason why. Uh and then he tells Job he says that I'm younger than all of those that were before me. And so that's why I waited to say anything. And then he spends chapter 32, 33, 34, 35, 36 And at the end of those chapters, you know what Elihu basically does? He reminds Job of how great God is, period. He doesn't accuse Job of anything. He just reminds Job of how great God is. And in one passage says, can any human being be perfect compared to God? And of course the answer is no. So Job, whatever reason God has, it's a good reason. Don't blame God. Then in verse 38 or chapter 38. Job, by the way, Job doesn't speak again after Elihu talks. Verse 38. Look at chapter 38 verse 1. I want to read you this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. Finally, 37 chapters. God's finally going to tell Job what's going on. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Basically, he says, Job, you're running your mouth. You have no idea what you're talking about. You sound foolish because that's what a person is who has no knowledge, according to the book of Proverbs. Now, look at verse 3. By the way, Job had issued a challenge to God. God, confront me. Talk to me. Tell me what's going on. So here's God's answer, chapter 38, verse 3. Brace yourself like a man because I will question you and you shall answer me. Well, How do we know that? Because what happened in chapter 1, God asked the questions, and everybody, including Satan, did answer. So God tells Job, brace yourself like a man, because I am going to ask you some questions, and you will answer me. By the way, it's interesting, if you keep going, um, there's a couple other places in here where he actually says the same thing. He tells him to brace himself. Oh, chapter 40, verse 7. Verse 6, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm again. Brace yourself like a man. I'm going to question you and you will answer me. And then he said in verse 8, would you discredit my justice? Job, are you telling me that you think I'm wrong? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? My goodness. You know why that was so shocking to me? I'm afraid I might have done that sometimes myself. Actually condemning or arguing or disagreeing with God to justify myself. You know the easiest way for us to figure out what that is? Have you ever done something that you knew was wrong, but you came up with a reason why in this case it was okay? You justified doing wrong because you really wanted to do it? I think we all probably have at some point. That's kind of what he's talking about here. But then notice what happens. He keeps talking to him in chapter 40. Look at chapter 42. Then Job replied to the Lord I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Man, what a promise. There is not a plan God has for our life that can be thwarted. It can't be stopped. It can't be overthrown. And by the way, his plan will get accomplished. If I don't let him do it through me, he'll get rid of me and find somebody else he can do it through. He said, verse 3, you asked who is that that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Back to chapter 40 and what he asked him. He said, here's my answer. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. He's being honest. I was giving you an answer about something that honestly I didn't understand why it was happening. I'm guessing. Things that were too wonderful for me to know. How could I have ever imagined that something as big as what went on in that conversation in chapter 1 between you and Satan would have ever happened about me. It's something that I didn't understand. And even when you told me it was too wonderful for me to even comprehend, I can't even imagine in a million years that you would have chosen me for this. By the way, I believe a sign of His humility. All great, strong people have one main characteristic. At the core of their being, they're really humble. And then he says this, verse 5. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. You know what? That's revival. You know what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6? The Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord, high and lifted up. And Isaiah said, as soon as I recognized who God really was, he said, I abhorred myself in dust and ashes. And said, I'm unclean. I don't deserve to even live. Notice what Job said in verse 6. Verse 5, my ears heard, but now I've seen you. He said the same thing Isaiah did. Therefore, I despise myself and repent. And dust and ashes. Do you know when Christianity becomes powerful? It's when in your life and mine, we live our lives not just because we've heard about God, but we personally have experienced Him. We know who He is. We've seen Him. He's real to us. As long as all that's ever happened in my life is that I've just heard about Him. And if you go to church every week, you're going to hear about Him. But if that's all we ever get and we never really see him active in our lives then all we become is a bunch of religious people and you end up with a country like we've got now. Highly religious. Very little spirituality. It's because we've heard about him. But personally in our lives we don't see him anywhere. Job said, now I've seen you. I know you're active in my life. Notice what God said. Verse 7, After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you've not spoken to me what was right as my servant Job had. Remember all the things Job said? God said Job spoke right. You know why? Because he was honest. The other guys weren't. Notice what he said in verse 8. So now. Now he's talking to Job's friends. Oh, this is pretty cool. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You know what literally is happening here? They've got to go back to Job and apologize and offer a sacrifice and ask Job to pray for them so God doesn't punish them. Unbelievable. Unbelievable you gotta remember what Job's just been through for all them chapters, what these guys telling him how wicked he was. But remember, Job is a blameless man, and he's upright, and he fears God, and he hates evil. So how's he gonna respond? Look at verse 9. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Job must have prayed for him. And after he did, after Job did the right thing by treating them properly. Look at verse 10. After Job prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again. Don't miss it. It wasn't until after he prayed for his friends. It wasn't about Job. To Job, it was about them. And that is the crux of life for a true believer. It's not about me. It's about everybody God puts in my life. And that's very, very difficult for us to think about. Because when life becomes unlivable, you know who we're thinking about? Us. By the way, you know the end of the story. The Bible says that when Job was done... God gave him twice as much as he had before. What does that mean? He maintained his character and he was twice as rich. Dude. I wish he lived today. I'd like to borrow some of that. Could you contribute to our ministry? We'll take 45 goats. That'd be fine. Oh, we need some pigs. Right, babe? We need some pigs. We got to have some pigs. Okay. All right. I hope that, um, as we've talked about these people in the Bible where life becomes unlivable, that if if nothing else, we've realized that we're all human. And life can be difficult. God does have an answer for everything. God loves us more than we'll ever love ourselves. And and we're not the only ones that go through stuff like this. But God is still always the answer. And He is real. And He will help us, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank You for loving us and thank You for helping us. Lord, we can only wish that it would be said of us that we were blameless and upright and that we fear you and we hate evil. Lord, help us this week to be like Jesus. Forgive us for when we're not. And thank you for loving us in spite of who we are. May people see Jesus in our life in Jesus' name.